Welcome back, guys, and hi to any new listeners. My name is Matty Farrell, and this is In The Weeds Podcast. This week, I speak to Ampower, who's had an exciting, diverse career from all over the world. He's one half of Pilgrim Restaurant, and you may have seen us both on My Million Pound Menu, where I first met Ant. He's part of a great publication in London called Root & Bow Magazine, and incredibly, one of the founding members of the Global Movember Movement. Ant joins us in lockdown from his native city of Melbourne and gives us an insight into one of the most exciting food and drink scenes in the world. The importance of mental health has become very prevalent throughout the series and Ant obviously has a long resume and work in this field and in the episode is an important message about the art of conversation. So you're in the right place for this one and I think Ant has my favourite in the wheeze moment of the series. So sit back, relax, enjoy your walk, run, whatever it may be. Hope you enjoy this one guys. Welcome to episode six of In The Weeds podcast. Well, today we've got a view from the other side of the world. We've got Mr. Amp Power, Pilgrim and Root & Bow magazine uh, coming, well, I think it's about eight o'clock Melbourne time. So how are you doing, Ant? I'm doing good, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. It's about 11. Well, yeah, 11. It's a bit past your bedtime, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit past my bedtime, you know. <laughs> but um, no, it's great to have you on. How how are things in Australia at the moment? Uh, yeah, things are things are good, mate. It's uh, like, yeah, it's obviously eight o'clock in the morning here. Um, I've just got up to my yoga, my morning yoga routine, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Obviously, a, a bit different situation to what uh, what's going on back there uh, at home, but uh, well, home in, in England and yeah. the UK. But yeah, it's good. You know, it's uh, well, it's getting cold, starting to get cold here. So I've kind of got a little bit of warm weather when I landed here. But uh, it's starting to get pretty chilly now, so it's reminding me a lot of Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> but that was that cold. Did, did um, so? Just for anyone's listening, you've actually you actually went back to Australia just before this. Yeah, all- so so I um, came back to Melbourne. I think I flew out on like the seventh of March, like a week before. Like, yeah, I was coming back to Melbourne to obviously visit my family and friends um, and. Uh, Pilgrim, I was. We were doing a uh, pop-up restaurant here um, for. We had a couple of weekends um, doing like a seven-course tasting menu here in Melbourne. Uh, but so I landed. Um, we were able to do the first week of these pop-ups, and then obviously everything, the whole world just got shut down. So I kind of lucked out quite well. I've uh, I arrived on my mate, one of my best mates in high school. I arrived on his front door, um, and then only to get locked in quarantine with him for the last <laughs> eight weeks. So. We've uh, we've been having a having a fantastic time actually. What have you been doing? Been pretty colourful. We've uh, we've I've got Trav, uh, my mate Travis, who I'm saying with. Um, he's started making sourdough, so he, we've turned the, he's got a, a shed out the back. We've turned that into a bakery, All right? Um, and we've also turned that into a wellness centre. We've uh, we've been doing yoga and uh, calisthenics, uh, trying to trying to even out all the beer that we're drinking. Uh, so we figure we better try and keep that. Uh, Keep those athletic bodies, but uh, it's failing miserably. <laughs> Over your career, should we say, you've had quite a, a hand in humanitarianism projects. You are part of the, the founding Movember Club. Was it part of the first 30 members or something like that? Am I correct? Or? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, Travis, actually, my mate here that I'm staying with is, uh, is the founder of Movember. Um, ah, right. And the creative, uh, the creative director of of the of the organisation, so yeah, I went to high school with him. So basically, the first thirty Mobros, we were all schoolmates. Um, yeah, 
so yeah, we all got together that first time and, and grew mustaches and uh, the yeah the rest is kind of history so to speak it's it's a global phenomenon now is it how many is yeah i think i'm not i think the I think there's been about so well, it's been across 21 countries around the world. I think there's something like six million people have registered and, and raised funds and grown mustaches, and um, I think it's around about 600 million pounds has been raised. So it's now the world's largest men's health organisation. You know, something like 1,200 research programs around the world. So it's um, yeah, one of those crazy ideas and jokes that got out of control, but for a really good reason. You, uh, has it developed over time and so what you wanted it to be or, or what Travis wanted it to be? Has it changed yeah, th- what it is? What well, the no, is? Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely changed. Um, a big board of directors who oversee it, there's global scientific communities who who, who obviously work with the, the Movember has a programs team as well that sort of oversees all where the funding goes um, around the world. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive organisation now. It's still got that fun element to it. Um, you know, the, the whole idea behind it was that the moustaches have disappeared from the faces of young men. The moustaches come back into fashion. So it's, 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 it's evolved into this um, incredible foundation, but at heart it's still, you know, about getting together with your mates and having fun behind a moustache and, and, and talking and, and, you know, offering up opportunities to have conversations, um, which is critically important for men and men's health. I mean, one thing that I've come up quite a lot uh, when I've been speaking to people and what's coming up is the importance of um, outside and, and and mental health and talking about it. I think a big fallout from this. I think undoubtedly, uh, speaking from a, obviously a male focus and, and Movember focus, which is all about men's health, there's triggers that men that adversely affect men's mental health. And they can be things like, you know, a bereavement or loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or a breakdown of a marriage. But Financial difficulty and isolation are two major catalysts for men having mental health problems. Uh, and so this is, you know, compounded that on a global scale. There's undoubtedly a lot of men that are, a lot more men now that are, that are isolated from their mates. And it's those, um, those conversations going to the football, going down the pub, it's yeah. staying connected, staying socially connected is incredibly good for your health. Um, so taking that away is, is def- I think, undoubtedly going to have some. Um, it's going to have a knock-on effect. So um, you know, it, and it's critical. It only it only takes five five ten minutes to check in on a mate. Um, yeah. You know, we've been doing a lot here, sending a mate a message, just seeing how they're going, checking in is incredibly important. So I know November's been actively encouraging that for the, throughout this lockdown is to stay connected and um, find different ways to get in touch with your mates and. Yeah, I think we're obviously lucky that we, you know, we can do things like this. The fact that you're the other side of the world, and we're, we're having this conversation, and I think I don't know. I think I think people we're probably in an age where people are actually aware of it, and people will listen even to like this and w- want to know the ins and outs of it. Whereas maybe twenty years ago is a different story. Oh, absolutely. Look, we've we've come a men as a species have come a hell of a long way. I think as far as sort of recognizing these, uh, that you know, we we've. We've got a culture of neglect when it comes to looking after our health. I think that's definitely changing at a rapid pace um, over the last decade. Yeah. But, you know, we do have a bit of a head-in-the-sand approach to, to, to our own health issues and that kind of should be fine. And, you know, we, we, we typically present really late to the doctors and medical people. We tend to sit on things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, hopefully, you know, the, there is another side to, to, this, to this lockdown and everyone can get back. And, and I think a lot of people will learn that, you know, you know, the, the, the value of staying connected and the value of their mates and because everyone's had that kind of luxury just taken away from them. In regards to linking that in with hospitality, 
Well, how do you feel hospitality can benefit that or, or how do you think that's affecting people? Well, I think, I mean, in hospitality, you know, there's, I think everyone who works in the industry probably recognises that it's, um, you know, it's a pretty tough industry um, and mental, mental health um, and physical health as well quite often, um, you know, take a backseat to that sort of lifestyle. I think a lot of people undoubtedly will probably be looking and use um, this situation as a kind of reset, as a kind of take stock and a control alt delete moment where you sort of go, look, I can't, I'm not going to go back to that, that kind of lifestyle. So I think fundamentally this is a, a unprecedented times, but there's going to be incredible posit- positivity that comes out of this. Everyone, you know, has got a much more um, inward focus to, to their own health and what's important to them right now. So, you know, I think a lot of people are, you know, you're going to start to see a lot of people putting themselves um, back first. Yeah, yeah. And what you obviously got a lot of a lot of friends in the UK. How, like, how is the pace of life different for, in Australia to it is here? You feel it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's a, it's a completely different way of life. Just that that grind of. I mean, obviously, I, I, before I came to Liverpool, I lived in London for fourteen yeah. years, and you know that's a mega city, and you know it's relentless, it's nonstop, and it's fantastic. It's it's just that melting pot of incredible culture and. It's you know it either you know chews you up and spits you out, or you have you know you can do that one week and then the next week you you know you feel like you're on top of the world. Melbourne um, and Australia is a lot more chilled. Yeah, <laughs> so a lot slower here. Everything happens. Um, everything happens a little bit bit, bit more relaxed. And no one's you know. And it's one of the things that it really freaks me out about coming back to Melbourne every time. Everybody here talks to you, like. Yeah. And, and actually, I've said this if, about Liverpool as well. Liverpool always reminded me of a bit of Melbourne compared to London because, like here, like in Liverpool, you walk into the you know the off license or the gas station to fill up, the car and everyone says hello. Yeah. And it kind of after being in places like London, it really takes you back because you know you kind of you're not used. Well, you you might like for here, I go and put some fuel in the car a couple of weeks ago, and the guy's like, "Oh, mate, how you going?" I'm like, "Yeah, good." And he's like, "What are you up to today?" And it's like it's that next level of conversation you're not expecting to get from a guy behind a plas- perspex uh, window in a in a Seven Eleven gas stop. So it's um, so yeah, Melbourne's Melbourne's a fantastic city like that. It's it's big, it's spread out. You know, it's it's all relatively new. Obviously, we're a relatively young nation, but um, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful city, and it's been really tough being back. You're not being able to go to all the restaurants and bars. Melbourne's got, I think. A food scene comparable to London and New York. It's, um, yeah. I think it's it's regarded around the world as a, as an incredible food and drink destination. And I've only been to one pub since I've been back, which is almost yeah. bizarre. I think it's the longest I've ever had to go without going to a pub. But um, so yeah, I'm, I'm obviously you might have seen that the, some of the restrictions are starting to get lifted here, and we're slowly going to start get back to some normality. But um, what that looks like for the hospitality industry, there's still the social distancing, but. Um, but um, I, I can't wait to get um, yeah, to get out and, and get on the streets and start trying some of these foods. It's uh, it's incredible place. Everyone's just kind of bunkered in, um, and been, I mean the amount of barbecues you can smell they've been going on, and <laughs> it's just everyone's just locked down and locked down in the house drinking booze. That's, that's um, not cliche at all, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's 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 an exciting time. Everyone's starting to get you know getting toey and ready to get it back out and get amongst it. But, uh, you know, how, how this affects, it's still, you know, we're, we're still not through it like everywhere else, obviously. But um, 
So are you, in what sense are the restaurants, are the restaurants open yet in Australia or not? No, they've kind of, a few have been doing takeaways, um, much like the, the UK yeah. scene. Um, the, Melbourne's a mad coffee city. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, there's lineups at every cafe, you know, it's one and a half metres apart from everyone, lineups down yeah. the street. Um, they're all addicted to caffeine here on a next level. So um, they've been doing a booming trade, I think. But, yeah, there's much like what we did with Pilgrim and, and you guys have had to do over there. Everyone's just kind of, look, most people I think have just said it's probably best to just shut doors, bunker yeah. in and, 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 and assess this as it starts to unfurl. Have you got a Pacific place? No, uh, no, go- not really. I don't. I kind of, I just go to anywhere. I mean, there's literally, you've never seen so many, you know, hipster coffee shops in your life. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't know. I don't know how anyone sleeps in this city. I think everyone's, that must be that jacked up on caffeine. <laughs> um, I saw one guy walking, I saw a couple walk, walking through the, at the park and they're carrying four coffees. Yeah. Like, two, one in each hand. I'm like, surely they're not having, they must be having two. But um, there's, yeah, there's an abundance of really good coffee here. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any particular one. I'm, I'm sort of stuck, I'm stuck, I'm locked down in an area called Fitzroy, which is uh, probably about a one or two kilometres from the centre of Melbourne, but a really kind of bohemian, artsy, right. lots of restaurants and some really iconic pubs. You're literally, you're standing at one coffee shop and there's four within 100 metres of you kind of thing. So, and some of them are just little holes in the wall. Um, yeah. But they all, you know, they pride themselves on, on, you, on the coffee, which is, that is fantastic. I don't, I don't know. It just, I think Melbourne's had, you know, there's, there's Melbourne's got an incredible food um, and hospitality scene and coffee scene. I think that sort of stems from um, our European immigrants that sort of after the Second World War, Australia actually only had about four million people who lived in, in the country at the end of World War Two. So the, the government actually went out to Europe and houses to, to European men to come and you know rebuild Australia. And so we've had this. We have a really big Greek community, Italian community, um, and wider European community here in Melbourne, and have you know since um, since the fifties. So that's you know the Italians weren't going to drink anything but good coffee. Um, so that's sort of just has flowed over into, into now where it's, it's just part of our culture. We don't, Melbourne as well, there's that big rivalry between Sydney and Melbourne. You know, Sydney's one of the most beautiful cities in the world, but it is filled with people from Sydney. So uh, <laughs> Melbourne doesn't quite have, Melbourne, <laughs> but Melbourne doesn't have that kind of, that beach culture. The city of Melbourne's on a bay, so there's no surf. Um, you've got to go down the, down the coast to get a wave. Um, and, you know, it is getting, in winter here, it's a little bit like London, climate so because we don't have that sort of hot summery tropical i think we've, we've kind of embraced the arts and food and drink um and over the last kind of 25 30 years it's just gone gangbusters where it's um it's a bit like there's too many restaurants and, and sites a bit like the london scene where it's just hyper saturated and when something like this happens with covid it's um you know it's going to mm-hmm. whittle out some of the some of the, you know, the half steppers yeah, the mediocrity that's been talked about a few times. Did you, so Melbourne is it's got quite a European feel. I've got that quite a lot, isn't it? Definitely, it's um, you know, and this it's again the similarities I saw in Liverpool is you know walking down the street here, street art and graffiti is you know open. Well, it didn't used to be, but it's uh, it is now open. Like it's the the city's covered in street art. Um, in fact, I think it's recognised as again one of the street art capitals of the world. It's um, Oh, so yeah. it's it's an it's an incredibly great city to be to be in um, for that very reason. You've got you know the arts and arts and culture scene is uh, 
I think, unparalleled to, to many places in the world. What's trending over there at the moment? The same thing. You know, it's had its burger day, it's had the taco day. Uh, I think live fire barbecues have probably had the time as well. But, um, yeah, look, I've not had the opportunity to go out and, and um, fill my belly at all these places. Um, it's, I couldn't really say what the, the latest trend is, but it's just I was last here in Melbourne two years ago, I think, a bit over two years ago, and, you know, just walking down these areas, the, the turnover of places is incredible. Right. Um, you know, one might not work or they move on and there's just a lineup of people ready to, to fill them. So, um, yeah, so it's incredibly, it, it's a city that just doesn't stop in that sense. So, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun and hopefully can get back out there amongst it soon. Are you originally from Melbourne? Yeah, born, born and bred here out in the eastern suburbs. Um, Australia was a, a, an interesting place growing up in the 70s and 80s, showing my age a bit. But, um, you know, international travel didn't really start until the kind of late 80s. So we're still isolating. You're still here. Yeah, for about still millions of years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very different place um, to what it is now. But, yeah, it's, 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 Melbourne's a great city. What made you, yeah. did you move to the UK? Oh, actually, I kind of, I actually left Melbourne in the in the in the early nineties, uh, I spent about ten years um, following the winters snowboarding between Canada and New Zealand, and so I spent a lot of time. Spent about ten years back and forth between New Zealand, Australia mountains, and the Canadian Rockies, and then I was back in Melbourne for a couple of years, and I came to London. Of like many other foolish men before me, followed a woman <laughs> out of love all the way to the other side of the world, only for that to go tits up about two months after we got there. So, um, and then, I, yeah, I, I got a job. I was working at uh, Oxo Tower in London. I got a job working at, on the eighth floor there at Oxo Tower overlooking London. And it's a, it's a Harvey Nichols restaurant, um, yeah. you know, doing, you know, a thousand covers a day kind of thing. And it was, it was a fantastic job. It's probably one of the best chef jobs I've, I've, I've ever had. It was uh, just incredible incredible massive operation there was a fine dining restaurant on one side of and then the, the brasserie on the other and i don't know what the turnover was but it was incredible organization to work for the 280 odd staff mm-hmm. across the two restaurants and you know it was uh it was a real eye-opener for me i'd kind of worked in in little kitchens and little restaurants around the world while i was traveling and then came to this place and it uh yeah it just changed the way i i, I saw hospitality and saw saw being a chef as well and, and then, then yeah and then stay there for so i was there for a few years and then then obviously November, we took the moustache back over to the UK and went off there. So I stepped out of stepped out of the kitchen in I think 2007 and started working. The one of the other founders of Movember had come over to the UK, so it was pretty much me, him, um, his wife, and a, and another person. We sort of started doing Movember and rolling it out um, across the UK, and it and it took off. So I spent pretty much up until just before we saw you guys on the Million Pound Menu. I spent. <laughs> Mostly ten years traveling around Europe, sort of building the campaign, the European campaigns. Um, yeah. yeah, working in the marketing and the events and um, uh, some of the partnership stuff. So yeah, completely, a completely different change to, to working in a kitchen. And then, uh, then yeah, I hung up the mustache and went back to to the food game with uh, where I met Jamie and obviously I knew Dave and moving power menu and. That's now I'm talking you. to you. <laughs> and then, what about the magazine? How did you award Root and Bone? Because it's quite a, quite a popular uh, culture magazine, really. We started that um, back in London in 2013. It was um, myself, Steve Ryan, a food photographer, and a couple other friends, Mark and Alex, who were both graphic designers. 
and we'd, we'd all met, well, I'd, knew, I'd grown up with Alex in, in Melbourne. We'd all met whilst we published a cookbook for November called Cook Like a Man okay. back in 2013. We published about three of them, actually. Um, and then so Steve was a photographer and Alex and Mark, you know, helped with all the design. We really enjoyed doing that. And we started pitching. We had some really crazy ideas. And we started pitching ideas to different magazines, you know. Like what? Of some stuff. One, well, we, one was we tattooed a pork belly with squidding. We took it to our tattooist and got him to tattoo us a skull and crossbones with a chef's hat um, on this pork belly and then we cooked it because we wanted to, we wanted to tattoo. We found out the tattooist um, would use pig skin to practice tattooing because it's the closest thing to human skin. Right. So we were, were talking to, my, to the tattooist and we're like, can, you know, can we eat? Can we tattoo a pig? Like we wanted to get a suckling pig and, you know, like born to die or <laughs> put something like that on it. And then, then he, the guy's like, no, you can't eat, um, you can't consume the ink, it's toxic. So we've, uh-huh. so that's where we, we were like, well, let's try it with squid ink. So we went to the fishmonger, got a couple of the, the squids and removed the squid ink sacks and <laughs> made it into the ink. And so anyway, we, we were pitching these ideas to some, some, some of the more kind of commercial food magazines and they wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole um, mm-hmm. for various reasons and probably some very obvious reasons. So we kind of just got together and, and thought, well, why don't we just start our own magazine? Um, and so Root and Bone was was born. Uh, first couple of issues, we sort of delivered them by hand and put them together on the fly. I don't. I think the first issue, I don't even think we had a proofreader. I think going back through it now, it's just terrible. Like it's an absolute, it's, it's ridiculous how many spelling mistakes and grammatical mistakes there are. Uh, but then from that, yeah, we just kind of, we, we actually modelled it on a Melbourne music newspaper. That's, that's a, a, another great thing about Melbourne is an incredibly vibrant uh, live music scene. And so there's these free newspapers that get put out in all the cafes and bars called uh, Impress and Beat Magazine that have all the, you know, the gig, basically like a gig guide and music guide. Yeah. So we, we kind of came up with this idea that we'd publish this magazine and do some really cool stuff, make it for, for people in the industry, it was, but we'd, give it, we'd deliver it for free to all the cafes and restaurants around London and handpick who sort of stocked it. And we wanted it to be an industry, a magazine for the industry people. For the, we wanted to be able to drop a bundle of 50 magazines off at a cafe and the first people to grab it be the chefs and the front of house and the bartenders. Um, and, you know, most of we sort of rolled it out over the next few issues with we'd get lots of we had some fantastic um, industry people contributing. Um, Fergus Henderson from uh, St. John's been a regular contributor, as has Trevor Gulliver's uh, business partner. Um, and a lot of other, you know, really talented chefs and bartenders and uh, mixologists have all sort of contributed to over the years. So now I think it's around about 600. London stockers and a few nationwide as well, uh, and I think there's around about thirty thousand copies per issue. It's a quarterly magazine, um, and yeah, it's it's. I think we've done really well. It's it's definitely not like other food magazines to say the least. It's a bit more rock and roll. Yeah, it's cool. Steve and Alex and Mark are the kind of driving force behind it now. Obviously, I'm up in Liverpool. I do a little bit of the, um, content creation and some of the editorial stuff, but those guys have really taken it to another level. They've it's almost effectively become an agency now where they um, are working with uh, a lot of brands and um, doing a lot of events and stuff like that as well. So, it's yeah, it's gone from strength to strength. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Quite a lot to fit in around what you're doing or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to do, got to do, got to, what is it? Idle hands are the devil's play. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't care. Keep doing something. Yeah, it's fun. 
like to touch on a little bit of travel with whoever we're speaking to on the podcast. Where, where's your, one of your favourite scenes? I know you're very keen on Barcelona. I'd like to go back to Barcelona. Obviously, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty keen to get back to Liverpool. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's my home at the moment. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got, I'm missing all my crew as well. As anyone who's opened a restaurant, you know, you kind of live and breathe it and you're, you're there 24-7. So uh, um, missing all, all, the, all my staff and uh, Jamie as well. It's... Uh, so yeah, I'm keen to get back and see all the boys and the crew there. But um, I think after here, I don't know. I'd, I wouldn't mind going and sit on a beach somewhere. Um, but um, I'm thinking Europe definitely. I mean, getting back to Spain, we're keen to go down to Andalusia and explore the southern part of Spain a bit. I haven't been down there, um, and that's something that we certainly want to bring to Pilgrim as well. Is start looking at some. We've, if anyone who's been to Pilgrim would know, we've been following the Camino Frances and Camino del Norte of the northern part of Spain. But, yeah, we're keen to try some uh, some other food, some southern food as well. So definitely Andalusia is on the on the list. You're a big fan of Gracia, aren't you, as well? I love, I love Gracia in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a village within a within a city. It's um, yeah, fiercely Catalan. Travis's wife, Marta, who, who I'm staying with as well, she's from, from Gracia. Um, ah. So, yeah, with, uh, you know, there's Catalan flags around the house here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fiercely independent. Um, but it's such a it's such a beautiful little part of the world. It's um, you know it was a, a, literally a little village that just sort of got swallowed up um, by yeah. Barcelona as it grew and spread. And yeah, you, know, you can see it when you look at the, if anyone ever looks at the map of Barcelona, you can see it from above, can't you? Where the, yeah, the grid swallowed has just gone right through it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's such a great vibe too. There's lots of cool, creative people there, and everyone seems to know. Like everyone does know everybody. You know, all my mates that live there, Marta's friends. You know, they're born and bred. They, they, you know, they got married at that church, and they were christened at this place here. And you know, there's such a history for it for them. So for me to be able to go over there, uh, which I do as often as I can, it's just, yeah, it's it's like travelling, but not travelling because, yeah, I'm, I'm welcomed into these people's ha- um, homes. So it's 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 a really, it's an incredible way to to experience a, a town. Um, and that that goes for all travel. I find I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world for 25 years. And, there's nothing like having a local to show you around. You always find that hidden hidden gem that doesn't quite, you know, resonate in mind. I think it, 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 it's always the best way. Or get, a, or get a local guide to show you around like that is the best way for sure. Especially in, in Barcelona as well. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah, it can be, like a lot of cities, can be hit and miss. That's certainly one thing I've always used, telling people when you go into any bar or restaurant or anywhere in any city, wouldn't tell them that you're a chef or that you work, you know, you're a bartender, you know, that you're immediately, it's like, you know, you're one of the team and you're immediately part of the family. And I find that people in bars will tell you, if you tell them, oh, I'm a chef, you know, can you recommend some places to go? The first thing they do is, you know, you know, they, they yep. take it on. They will give you the best tips. So it's um, it certainly helps open some doors. Being part of the hospital team. Yeah. So yeah, apart, like apart from November, you've you've kind of linked charity and humanitarian work in with hospitality in other ways as well. Well, I'm I'm actually cooking. I'm, I'm working a little bit here uh, this weekend. Actually, there's uh, Paolo, one of the chefs that um, I Pilgrim was collaborated with for that pop up. Has he set up this initiative called Cooks with Heart, where um, we're cooking uh, free meals for the hospitality and arts crew that have been affected by uh, by this by the lockdown. So um, that's so 
saying the mates and just getting home. Yeah, uh, yeah so that's uh, keep me busy. Um, I'm cooking lunch for 70 people on Saturday, um, some free lunches. So, yeah, just a little way to sort of give something back to, to, to some of the fellow crews. Yeah, and what else? What else are you doing in, in the UK? You, you were doing the pilot light scheme as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're looking to support um, pilot light campaign, which pilot light campaign is uh, set up by chefs uh, Andrew Clark um, and his mate Doug. And it's uh, yeah, it's a it's an initiative to to sort of shine a light on mental health issues in the hot, you know, specific to the hospitality industry. And they've it's it's starting to really um, gain traction. They've done a fantastic job. Um, they've got some some you know, like they're starting to do different food events and, and and dinners and things like that. So we're looking at doing something um, up at uh, in Liverpool as well, something similar to that, to sort of support that and. and sort of start raising a bit of awareness up in Liverpool. So we're looking hopefully to do that uh, and even more poignant reason to do it now. How, how, is it, how easy is it to shop local and produce over in Melbourne pretty, pretty easy? Yeah. Oh, mate, here's... Part of the culture. Look, we don't, you know, like those Tesco metros and yeah. the Sainsbury's Express, we don't have those here. We have, well, we have super, like, like the big... The super sewer Tesco's and Sainsbury's. We have we have those that are dedicated purely to alcohol. <laughs> like I'm talking 15 aisles of of I'll have to, I'll send you a photo. I've never seen anything like it. They're literally they're like super stores, super supermarkets that are entirely for booze. So our supermarkets, the fresh produce section of, of Australian supermarkets, is something to behold. It's you know it's we talk about seasonality is, is such a big thing that um, that we focus on at, at Pilgrim. Over here, you know, 3,000 miles away is uh, the tropics and it's still in the same country. So we have incredibly, I mean, you can get mangoes pretty much all year round here in Australia. You can get peaches all year round because they're kind of from different parts of the, different parts of the country. So going shopping here is an absolute joy. You're just spoiled for, for choice, for veggies. You know, that was one thing that always used to piss me off about the UK, how you know, every supermarket has the same thing in plastic. It'll be yeah. aubergines, cauliflower, yeah. potatoes, onions, and leeks. And there's, there's so much more incredible produce out there that it's just not on offer. And it's not that people don't want it. The supermarkets have, you know, have this illusion of year-round availability for asparagus and things like and strawberries. And, you know, that industrial monoculture that, that comes with farming to, to feed these, these few small kinds of items that uh, people consume. So it's... So yeah, shopping here is fantastic. It's uh, all I've been doing is eating. Yeah, I mean that, that, that um, like you say about Tesco and Sainsbury's and the Metro. That's a, it is a big issue in the UK. That and it, but I haven't I noticed people are actively looking for it now that they they put in this situation. I hope I hope that it's something that kind of continues because you know I think it's important and important to local local economies and stuff like that, especially that and you're getting your veg not in a plastic container. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, Tesco is still trying to I, I justify that last year uh, for some mad reason that it was actually more, um, it helped the environment more. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is. Look, I, you're right. Hopefully that is what will change, you know, that people will start looking further for, for better produce. And, you know, it's a tough one because um, – you know, if you want to buy organic stuff or if, if you want to go to a farmer's market, you know, it's, it's more expensive. It costs more money. 
you know, you don't have a Tesco, you don't have that luxury of Tesco buying 60% of the onions that are available in the country. Um, you know, you've got smaller farmers um, and you know, people, hopefully they'll come out of this and, and see that, you know, there is a lot more value that people need to put into the food that they eat. You know, this lockdown happened in pasta and flour and um, rice were, the, you know, obviously the first things that went off the shelves. You don't need to be eating pasta and rice every day. There's, you know, there's a, and hopefully people will start to look a bit further and, and put a bit more value on the food that they eat. Everyone knows that it's unsustainable the, the way we're heading with, um, you know, with farming. So, yeah, hopefully some good will come out of this. Mm. Your diet is, is obviously linked highly to your mental health as well and your mood and, and what you, I think that's what people are looking at here as well, isn't it? It's improving the mental health linking food and making making good meals and it's all linked absolutely i mean you are what you eat i mean that's Mm. i think as well the mental health side of it for me i think that's it the opportunity to have the uh, well it's been two months now you know of inward reflection on what really is important to me and i'm just speaking personally but i think everyone's had this and i think you don't have the time to do that and you certainly well you might know that you know, you're not eating properly or you're not sleeping well or you've got something that you've got anxiety or something like that. People just don't have time or haven't had the time to really deal with it because it's just that daily grind that just keeps going on and on. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, to see how it all, how, what, what changes because it's, it's definitely not going back to the way it was. No, no. So from, from like obviously the work that you guys do doing, looking into things like that, what advice would you give people? I know you've said about talking and, and things like that and checking in on people, what, especially from what you've learned over dealing with sort of mental health initiatives and stuff like that. Of What would you advise people as a, as a positive note that they can do? Well, oh, look, it's, you know, it's, it's different, different for everybody, but yeah. undoubtedly for both guys and women, you know, conversations is, is the key. And, Staying, obviously staying connected um, and asking the questions, you know, how many times have you asked your mate, you know, you okay? Go, yeah, I'm fine. You know, it's that second and third question that you ask that really, you know, will, will hopefully, you know, encourage them to, to open up. You know, taking the time to check in as well. Like it doesn't take long to send it, you know, you send a message these days. It doesn't even, you can send a voice message, but just letting someone know that five-minute conversation could be just the thing that somebody needs. Um, so, yeah, I think that's key is, talking and having conversations but asking the right questions as well um you know certainly for guys you know just going hey how are you doing and they go yeah i'm fine if you know if you know they've been through a tough time or break up or or even something like this it's you know having that delving a little bit deeper and um and and being there being an ear for someone is probably the best thing you can do uh, absolutely i think that's probably you've probably seen that more than ever when speaking to people about it yeah, well, I mean, that was, I think that's a, probably the real beauty of, of, Mo, of the Movember Foundation and what Movember did is, you know, it wasn't one day for men's mental health, it's 30 days. And that, that commitment to grow, to clean, you know, you meant to, back in the days that the rules were that you had to clean shave on right. the 1st of November and then grow just your moustache. And that, that journey that you go on, you know, it, it's effectively, you know, it's a ribbon, the, the pink ribbon under your nose kind of thing for, for men's health. It, it created conversations because everybody would ask you what the hell are you doing because two weeks into November, you know, you'd look like a porn star or a pedophile. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was back, it was a pretty risky thing to do, but it, 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 it started conversations, you know, not only for people asking you what the hell are you doing 
with that thing on your face. But more importantly, people would you wouldn't te- you would you go over and tell everyone what you're doing because you didn't you know people were looking at you funny. So the first thing you do is go, oh, I don't normally look like this. I'm doing this for November. So yeah. that the mustache was an incredible conversation starter, and that was the the real issue was that men weren't and hadn't talked about their problems. They weren't you know male suicide is um, kills one man every minute and. You know, seventy-five percent of suicides are men, and and that that is because it, you know we have real difficulty in opening up. So, um, and, and and likewise with other health problems, whether it be prostate cancer, or testicular cancer, or, or any other um, ailment, we tended not to not to talk about it. So, so the mustache really was a, a incredible icebreaker into get men to go, okay, it is okay to talk, um, it's okay to open up, and it's okay to be vulnerable. That's yeah, you know that's. A really tough thing, I think, for men and men's mental health is really skewed definition of what masculinity is. You know that you got to take it on the chin. You got to man up. You got to be tough. You got to. You can't show weakness. And that that's a, a, a definition that's been evolved over years and decades and generations. But that's the reason why men, are, you know, <laughs> die on average about five years younger than women because we don't have that culture of showing vulnerability. We we tend to go the complete opposite and, and close down and and hold everything inside. So so yeah, the mustache was a, a great way to sort of break that ice. How have you seen the change? I'd say you know as we said before, it's definitely changed. You think it's going to change even more to the positive? Or yeah, absolutely. I think for sure. The you know twenty what was it two thousand and three when the first year we did November was that the first year there was thirty guys. And, it wasn't. We didn't raise money. It wasn't even for charity. It was just thirty. We're trying to bring the mustache back into fashion. So our goal was: if we grow mustaches, everyone will think they're cool, and we'll start this you know, this viral wave of mustaches. And then, of course, we all looked like absolute idiots and carried on like idiots. And you know, no one got laid for the thirty days, and no one, you know, all our girlfriends didn't want to be seen with us. Our mates didn't want to be seen with us. So it was the second year when the guys were like, "Well, let's if we raise a bit of money for charity for our mustaches." then we can legitimise this and we can have fun and do this every year. And when the guys looked into, you know, what caused to, to align with, men's mental health, uh, men's health in Australia was virtually unfunded. Prostate cancer was one of the biggest, second biggest cancer killer of men after skin cancer, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it was killing 2,000 men a year and there wasn't one dollar going into any research in the country. This is in 2003 and it was like, how is this possible that one of the biggest killers of men is unheard of in, in a country like Australia. And so obviously prostate cancer became the, the focus cause for, for Movember. Over the last 17 or 18 years, it's, it's, it's obviously encompassing testicular cancer and, and men's mental health and male suicide prevention. But the shift from then to now uh, to, how, to just where men's health is in the wider community conversation on the news, not just men's mental health, I mean mental health, at the moment in the UK is, you know, obviously you've got the the royal family, um, the kids all supporting it and it's, it's just come so much, it's come so far that we're, the difference in 20 years is, is you know, it's, it's unbelievable that um, the guys now do quite openly, you know, talk about their health and their, and their, and their feelings. Um, so I think, yeah, it's... So I, I, yeah, it's more that people need to realise that it's a strength to talk about it than an actual vulnerability or a weakness is, is how I, I feel things have changed. And then it's how the person reacts, isn't it? Like you say, and it's, it's everyone has their own problems. Do you know what I mean? So you do, yeah. I do. 
just talking about them and, and realizing that is the strength. The conversation will always always make you feel better about it. Yeah, you're right, and it's that's that, that's what's really changed. Is that there is guys do that now. There's um, you know there's actually an, a, a, one of the, the the local boys around here has just started an, an, an initiative a couple of years ago called Tell Your Friends You Love Them. That's it. It's not a single day. It's just a campaign to tell your mates you love them. They they lost one of their friends tragically in an accident, right. and realised that they'd never told him how much they loved him, and they'd grown up with him for you know their whole life. And so this from something like that, an incredible campaign's come along, and they'll say, "Yeah, your mate's saying I love you on the phone to your other mates," and you know that didn't happen twenty years ago, thirty years ago. So a lot of guys. And again, I'm obviously speaking from a, um, yeah. a male focus, but. Um, I think a lot of guys now realise that, you know, and ask questions about their mates, to their mates about, you know, if they've gone through a breakthrough, you know, break up their, um, they're a lot more open to, to really delving a bit deep with some you know, deeper questions and, and really making sure that um, yeah. they're doing okay. So you're right, it's, it's people need to see that, um, that mental health is, is not a weakness. It's, a, you know, you can, you, can, um, you can deal with and you can help manage, but um, that, that seismic shift in the way, the way the community sees mental health of 25 years ago, if you said you were, you know, there's no such thing as stress leave or any of that stuff from your job or so it's, it's certainly come a long way, a long way to go. Mm. It's all going in the right direction. Right? Maybe, maybe from this pandemic, cause maybe it was going a little bit where people thought, you know what, I can just use WhatsApp as a communication tool, but people seem to be checking in and realizing that face to face, contact and people are pining for that actually I'd, I'd love to get that guy a hug or um, miss your friends that human contact it hopefully that's a message as well that'll help in a yeah. positive reaction like we were saying before yeah i think so i think you know we've all been trying to comprehend what it's going to be like when these things get lifted it's going to be i reckon the whole world's going to go crazy yeah like it's uh <laughs> You know, people have been locked up for, and it is, it's that interact, like human interaction. Like, actually, everyone must be missing. I mean, I know I am. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you miss being other. It's a, we are a social species and taking it away, hopefully people, again, will yeah, see the value in it. Mm, definitely. Cool. And I want to, I just want to go back onto the Melbourne food scene. Where, where, where would you recommend to anyone listening if they're going to hit Melbourne? We've got, um, we've got a, Obviously, very European culture, but we've also got um, a very strong um, Asian culture as well. So we've got some fantastic sort of um, Japanese restaurants and Pan-Asian restaurants. One of my favourite places in Melbourne is a restaurant called Hell of the North, um, which is in Fitzroy. It's a, it's a wine bar, a fantastic wine bar. It's a bluestone building. It's, um, they do incredible food uh, and have probably one of Melbourne's most eclectic um, wine selection so that's always a, a fantastic spot what australia does really well is the outdoor dining because we have so you really can't go too wrong here in melbourne because the standard's so high because of the competition you know even the pubs the pub food here is fantastic um so and it's huge too i mean we have this iconic australian dish called the chicken parmigiana yeah. which is like a like a, a crumb chicken fillet with tomato and yeah, melted tomato, no. mozzarella on the top, but the the side, like the chicken, the chicken breast takes up the whole plate. I mean, the size of the chickens here are huge. I don't know what it is, but um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually hanging to get back to a pub because I've, I've only been haven't been to a pub, so I'm really dying to go have a, a jug of beer and a chicken parmigiana <laughs> and everything and, and everything hilarious here. Everything in the pubs, all the different stuff they have, like you know, fried calamari, fish and chips, all this. Stuff. 
everything comes with uh, comes with chips and salad. There's nothing else. It's like chicken parmigiana with chips and salad. Steak, <laughs> chips and salad. So it's uh, it's like the universal garnish here, chips and salad. Um, but yeah, the food scene here it's it's phenomenal. It's a, it's it's one of the best in the world. It's um, and you know you've got one of the things I, I, I remember um, just the, the selection of produce, like the fish from the fish supply here. That um, I was doing the event back in March. The amount of fish, the different species of fishes across two A4 bits of paper. So there's probably about 60 to 70, maybe 100 species of fish that are available, readily available every day of the week because you know, we live on this gargantuan island in the middle of the Pacific and Indian Ocean. That obviously translates down onto the menus. You've got um, a vast array of produce um, that's in season most of the year, uh, an incredible, incredible selection of seafood, some of the best in the world. Um, so yeah, you can't can't really go wrong. I've been asking anyone on here in hospitality if you've got like a Pacific moment or an in the weeds moment stuck out from you. Yeah, well, okay. One of the I guess one of the worst times I guess I've ever had uh, in a restaurant was it was in Melbourne actually years ago. We'd um, me and the chefs had been out all night coming in on a on a Saturday Saturday lunch shift. You know, barely having slept, still drunk. <laughs> anyway, I was in the in the back. In the in the kitchen in, at the sinks, uh, cleaning the calamari, and I had like this big bag of maybe fifteen kilograms of calamari that you know I'm up to my elbows and pulling the guts out and all this sort of stuff, just sweating bullets because I was still <laughs> drunk. Anyway, I was talking to the chefs, and I don't know what happened, but I pulled one of the in one of the sinks was the bag full of calamari. I pulled one of the calamari out, and because they're all tangled up together, one of the other like one of the tentacles they're pretty big calamari they're probably the tentacles are a foot and a half long right two foot long so i pull one out and one of the tentacles of another calamari sort of wrapped around my arm and stuck and i thought it was alive so i've started squealing like a like a baby <laughs> and i've run out of the kitchen pulling my shirt off trying to shake this calamari off my arm and running to the dining room oh, and <laughs> Ran into the dining room squealing and then I've kind of realised that the suction cups were stuck on my arm. That's why it wouldn't come off my arm. And then, yeah, just sort of looked up to a full dining room full of people looking at a half-naked chef with a dead calamari hanging off his arm. So yeah. from that day on, my chef mates here called me Squid. Squid. And they still do. Yeah. Did you get yeah. sacked for that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not sacked, but it was, it was kind of, yeah, it was... Yeah, virtually sacked. Uh, we played it down. To, we played it down to the boss, of course. But then he found out a bit later that it actually what had happened. So by that time, I was kind of one foot out the door. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Last, well, lastly, have yet one final message for anyone listening. Wow, well, it's the, there's there's an, there's the other side is 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 coming. Um, it's not going to be like this for long, um, and I'm sure everyone wants to get back to to, to the way it was. But um, when it does lift. Go out and celebrate. Hit the pubs, hit the restaurants, and hit the bars because that's you know they're going to need your help and they're going to want you in there to celebrate with you. So yeah, cool man. And well, thanks for thanks for joining us on what looks like a a beautiful day over in Melbourne. Yeah, uh, it is, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's great. As I appreciate you coming on and thanks for your time and you know stay safe and love to Travis as well there. Yeah, mate, and hope to say good day to all the crew. I better do a big shout out for my crew, but uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back.
uh, for a few aguardientes. Cool, cool. Take care. That's fine, Maddie. Well, thanks again for listening, guys. I'm looking forward to visit Melbourne one day soon. I want to apologise for any audio quality issues there as well. Uh, we're going to take a two-week break after this one, letting everyone catch up and enjoy the latest episodes. But we'll be back with some great conversations, some great female guests in the next part of the series. Uh, the best way to catch up with Ant and his goings-on are Ant underscore power on Instagram. There you can find information on Pilgrim Restaurant and the Movember Foundation. You can also catch me on Fazmangos, Twitter or Instagram, and mattyfarrell.co.uk. And look, guys, if you feel like you haven't checked in with someone, drop them a line or a text, see how they are, tell them you love them. You could be making someone's day. Let's keep the conversation going. Make sure you check in with me next time and take good care of yourselves. See you next time. Bye-bye.